Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Welcome, everyone, to another Tej Talks episode. This one's quite a special one, actually. I was asked by my friend Tunde to panel a group of property investors and people who are generally involved in property for his, what could I call it, his movement for his platform called The Mentor Circle, which is about diversifying and leveling the playing field. Essentially, it's free business and career boot camps for 18 to 25-year-olds. Um, and it's got, we, I think he had an, a crazy amount of people apply um, and actually a crazy amount of people apply to be mentors as well. So it's a really, really awesome scheme. Um, I believe it's currently closed for new mentees but hopefully again it will open up in the future but there's a real real diverse talented group of business owners um who are helping people out really and then helping to kind of um change the inequality in the uk and i think youth unemployment rate recently um before coronavirus was 11.9 percent whereas the general unemployment rate was 3.9 percent pre-corona so there's definitely a big uh gap between the youth and the older people so i think this is a great initiative to change that and really help people and totally for free um so yeah really hope people can start new businesses or progress their careers through this a great great scheme now today's episode really is about money i'd say sort of 70 percent of it is about money um money mindset the kind of things that are instilled in us from our parents, how we deal with money, how we save, how we budget. It is really targeted at people who are new to business, to economy, um, to the mindset of money. However, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not for everyone. But, you know, I think there's maybe 20 or 30 percent of this, which is property. But this podcast is very focused on money and kind of maybe general investing principles. So it is probably aimed at those people who are young and coming into the kind of professional job career having their own business but it was one of the best panels i've been on it was hilarious um but it was so so informative and i think 95 percent of people who were on the zoom call it was 170 people said they had their mindset to money absolutely changed in the space of two hours so i loved paneling this so thank you to thank you mentor circle here we go So let's get started. So I'd love the panelists to please introduce themselves. I'll just go through the names in order, um, just so everyone listening can understand your background, uh, your views perhaps on on wealth, uh, and maybe just like a brief sort of introduction as to how you got started in property, just to show other people the kind of many different ways that are possible. Uh, so TJ, can you please introduce yourself first? My name is TJ, guys. Um, so I know most of the people in this panel. There are people I don't know. Um, I'm sure we'll connect later on. Um, I fell into property like many people here. Um, you don't just become a property investor. You discover it and what you do after that determines how far you kind of go. And I'm kind of grateful to be on this platform because many of you, it's going to be a starting point. You're going to discover it. Then you get to make a choice what you do next with the information. Um, I fell into property. I had a recruitment business that was doing incredibly well. It failed. Someone told me about property. I learned a little bit more. I ran with the information. Doing one specific strategy has allowed me to then purchase significant, significant uh, has allowed me to purchase other properties as well. And um, yeah, it's put a lot of money in my pocket. 
And um, I just hope we inspire you guys to, to carry this information and change your lives as well. Amazing. Uh, Stephanie? Stephanie, you have to unmute yourself. I was so laughing when TJ did that, thinking, yeah, amateur. Okay. <laughs> also amateur, I'm Stephanie Taylor. I'm founder of HMO Heaven. It's a property management company in Wales. And what's also true about me is that I was a teenage mum on benefits and I had a lot of shame, very little self-belief. And I had a gorgeous boy who needed me to be absolutely the best that I could. And the things that I've learned in the past few years since I've um, come into property are the things that I wish that I had known when I was 18. And that's why I think it's so incredible what Tunde is doing with the mentor circle, because it's inspiring you to take action right now while you're young to become employers rather than and employees and to create that freedom in your life and to be the person who you are meant to be and the three things very briefly because I'm, I'm doing a bend here uh the three things very briefly um that that I wish I had known when I was 18 is uh, believe bigger be bolder be a game changer believe bigger because you have everything you need I always had everything that I needed but I just didn't realize it we all have so much potential but we don't realize it so uh, the first step is believe bigger the next one is to be bolder because it's so tempting to hide and not think that you can take action or to be worried about what your family or your friends are going to say when you know what your goals should be so uh, be bolder and take that next step and the last one is the most exciting it's to be a game changer really to change the game in your life in your family's life in your community and in our world and it's such a privilege to be able to have the joy of giving through the extra wealth that you create so kudos to you guys for joining on this program for being right here when you're young and getting started um and um yeah thank you i'll leave it with that amazing thank you stephanie emmanuel Um, if I can start, hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel Suko. I'm a financial advisor, so basically investments, pensions, mortgages and so forth. Um, I've been doing it since I was 22. I guess, how did I get here? When I was 14, I grew up in a place called Tower Hamlets in East London um, on a council estate and outside of my estate was Canary Wolf. I could see the builders of Canary Wolf and I told myself I wanted to be there one day. Um, by 16, I left school with four GCSEs and a letter from my my head of year begging the college to let me go into college. I went to college, went to university, um, but I still believed. By 22, I was the youngest financial advisor in Barclays in the actual building that I was looking at. Um, and I say that story to tell you that whatever you dream about, whatever you believe in, you can make it happen. Um, it takes action, it takes work, but believing is achieving. And um, now today, millionaires ask me what to do with their money, <laughs> and I'm not a millionaire. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all doable. So yeah, that's my story, and that's why I'm here. Amazing. Very powerful. And B. Hi, everybody. So um, I'm B. Janae. I am primarily an interior designer, and I am also a property investor. Um, I'm probably going to learn a lot by having a chat with these people in this panel who have done some amazing things. Um, but my story is quite interesting because I'm always the baby in every room that I'm in. Um, I started off really young, and I actually dropped out of the university um, studying English literature at a Russell Group University. And everybody kind of was a bit hysterical about that choice, but I really worked super, super hard and kind of made my own path, worked on my own business, and have now um, become a young homeowner too. So that was my story. 
Amazing, inspiring. And Kwasi? Hello, um, my name is Kwasi. Um, so I'm a property investor, like a lot of other people on this panel. I invest in property over here in Northwest London, where I'm from. Um, I'm also an investment banker by profession. Um, I actually grew up in the, my property business is based in the area that I grew up. So I grew up in Northwest London. I grew up on a council estate not far from here. And similar to what Emmanuel was saying, I mean, I actually, I'm an investment banker, but I didn't know what investment banking was until after I finished uni. And so it was a great journey just to be able to get into a business and a line of work that nobody ever told me about growing up in Chalk Hill. So, but I've managed to kind of transcend that and do other things. I'm in the fintech space. I run something called Future Banking, which is a fintech ecosystem. Fintech is stuff to do with blockchain, artificial intelligence, boring stuff you probably don't care about. Um, but I, I, I do something called Slow Money. So Slow Money is our community where we share financial um, knowledge and financial wealth building strategies. Effectively, what I do is I take what we do professionally within my investment banking framework and I syndicate that content to people from within the community to help educate and help inform and help share strategies on wealth building. And that's slowmoneyclub.com. And so, yeah, I look forward to sharing some of that content with you guys today. Amazing. Very, very relevant. Uh, and last but not least, Volta. Hi, everyone. My name is Volta Pontes. Hi, Tej. How are you? I'm good. Hi, How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So hi, everyone. Thank you for inviting me to come um, along. I feel very privileged to be uh, among so, so many successful people. So my name is Volta Pontes. I'm from Portugal. Came to England uh, four years ago, uh, five years now, and uh, came here to learn English um, and to get into university. I got into uni um, and then um, decided to drop out and start in property. Um, I've been in property two years and a half now. So I went from um, start doing some sourcing, which is uh, basically um, helping investors to find uh, properties and then uh, went from zero to 2.5 million the first year and um, I'm you know I'm in 7 million now and I uh, wanted to um, reach 10 million um, yeah very humble background I came to this country as a foreigner very humble background if I could do that in less than three years everyone can you just need to learn I read almost a book a day um, and um, yeah, so I think reading is very important and educate yourself. So if I could do, everyone can. So let's do it. Wonderful. And I think Walter is a great example of what you can achieve in such a short period of time. So before we get into asking the kind of nitty gritty and, and the kind of important questions about wealth and money and property investment, I think it would be great if all of the panelists could maybe tell us what they define as wealth, because I think traditionally, especially in the societies we live in, wealth is seen as money. It's seen as the Lamborghini, it's seen as the Gucci, whatever. But actually wealth means whatever it means to you. Um, and it's important to know what it means to you and what it means to the people on this panel. So uh, Emmanuel, what does wealth mean to you? Um, I guess wealth, wealth to me means that it's something that allows you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And it's, it's, it's generating itself. So it doesn't necessarily require you to be doing it every single day. So for me, when I talk about wealth to my clients, I talk about three things. 
one's property, one's investments, and another one's business. And to me, if you have those three things and have multiple streams of income coming from those three things, that will give you wealth. Um, and also it's about knowing that it's not an amount of money or a car or whatever. I know people who are rich that are not happy. And I know people who don't have much that are very much in that place of financial freedom. Um, so it's, it's about a lifestyle that you want to live and having the assets there to enable you to live that lifestyle. Yeah, precisely. I think very well said. It's about what you want and what it means to you. Um, B, do you disagree or agree with that? No, I absolutely agree. But I think to me, um, wealth or to be wealthy is kind of a step past financial freedom and touches more on kind of generational security so for me it's I think it's particularly important especially in the black community to kind of rethink how we can structure our financial circumstances so that they ensure a solid platform for our children and our grandchildren um, and essentially strive for this type of generational wealth so that would be what it is to me. Cool Um, Volta what does wealth mean to you? Uh, so yeah, what we said, I just uh, add on to that. I think so. Wealth means for me freedom, and uh, basically, you know, to create wealth, we need to start with financial independence and then you know build up, uh, because you know a lot of people try to go straight away to wealth. So basically, you need to become fin- first financial freedom and then build assets. You know, you can be wealthy in many many other ways, but uh, yeah, so you can be wealthy in property, you can be wealthy, you can create wealth in many other ways, but uh, I would say wealth for me is freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of, you know, I can do whatever I want to do when I want to do with whoever I want to do. So. I like that. I think freedom is quite a central theme with wealth. Uh, and Quasi, you're surrounded by wealth, you know, where you work. Uh, you know, what does wealth mean to you? Is it, is it kind of similar to what everyone's saying or do you have a different approach? After uh, unmute yourself, Quasi. There we go. Sorry. Better? Can you hear me? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, for me, I think what everybody, everybody said, so wealth is definitely about the freedom. I think often people look at wealth and think money, but what I find is that um, in, in Canary Wharf, there's lots of wealth, but the wealth is different. Um, old money, new money is actually real in this world. There's also different levels of wealth. I mean, when I think about um, what I do, I'm, I'm in investment banking, but actually banking is quite broad. You have um, uh, retail banking, which is individuals and small businesses. They are wealthy. They can be wealthy. But that's not the same scale as private banking, which is, again, an individual level of wealth, which is a cut above. But, but that's also relative because then you talk about corporate banking and then you're talking about a different level of wealth being distributed. Then you can go even further so to, to billionaires. So all of that, though, when it comes to wealth, the main thing is about the time and the ability to decide how you spend your time and what you choose to do with your time. And I think um, um, B touched on it as well. The generational aspect is probably something that's different between wealth and just financial freedom. So, yeah, I guess to echo what all the panelists have said, really. Cool. Um, And Stephanie, uh, has property brought you the wealth that you thought wealth was? Does that make sense as a question? Kinda, kinda, I kinda get it. But um, I think what what comes, what what it means to me is, it's the freedom to live your purpose. I feel much more fulfilled. Um, obviously, yeah, we've we've got so much more. I work with my sister. Um, we have so much more uh, financially uh, than we ever had. 
but now we have the freedom to live our purpose. The things that we're doing every day are things that we choose to do that fulfill our freedom, that fulfill our mission. And that's what makes me feel really rich apart from the actual riches. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love it. And TJ, what are your thoughts on wealth? Um, I think for me, wealth is quite simple. Falls under three things, similar to what Emmanuel said. It's the ability to be more, do more and give more. I think once you understand that the whole purpose of creating more wealth is to empower other people. One of my favorite words in this world um, comes from one of my favorite books, Influence. It's reciprocity. It's the understanding, the underlying understanding of the law of sowing and reaping. If you give, no matter what happens, you will receive. So for me, every single thing I do is predicated on the idea of if I can benefit someone, knowing that this law exists. So it means I I don't need to ask you for anything. If I can do something to help you, there's an underlying principle, there's an underlying law, which means I've got to receive. So I think every single person needs to adopt this mindset of if I want to make as much money as possible, if I want to be wealthy, create something, find a way to empower other people. So if it means you're getting into property, you're housing people, you're changing people's lives, which means automatically that law will give back to you. Whether you're a Christian, it's sowing and reaping. If you're a Buddhist, karma, causation, yin and yang, um, reciprocity. So again, wealth for me is do more, be more, and give more. Focus on the giving, because when you have more, eventually you can do more, which means the freedom to live life on your own terms. But ultimately you can give more, change lives, and then that entire cycle kicks in again and again and again. And that's how you get the P's, or that's how you get the, 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 the Q's. Yeah, the reciprocity is a very powerful law. I think when you start to believe in it, you start to feel it and experience it more. Um, actually, I think Tunde just did a quick poll and the majority of people in this chat have said that freedom, you know, wealth means freedom to them. And I think we all pretty much agree with that on the panel. So, you know, wealth is the goal and it's something where we're all aiming for, however we perceive wealth. You know, what do we think, or where do we think young people go wrong or make mistakes with money and finances you know we've got wealth as the goal we've got this stuff as like we want it but when we're young and actually really any age what kind of mistakes uh are we making uh volta what, what do you what do you what would you say to that i think when we are young a couple of mistakes we make is we use our time wrong uh we our parents not our parents so you know society says we know we need to enjoy life when we are young well, I would say we should educate ourselves, learn as much as we can when we are young. Uh, there is no, and um, also use our time wisely because, you know, that's where the time we have. So if you see Ron Buffett, Bill Gates, uh, you know, um, Elon Musk, all of these guys, they, we're talking about, they read almost a thousand books when they were very little. So use our time wisely, I, I, I think is something that, um, we could do and the second one is um, save money. So we need to save money and invest money. Um, I think uh, these two things, if we do that and educate ourselves in terms of wealth creation, it's possible for everyone. So it's good to, 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 you know, you know, to believe that it's possible, but you know, if we use our time better and we save our money and invest our money, I think uh, that is where, you know, if I could go back, that's what I would do. Okay, cool. I mean, I think there's a there's a balance to be struck between enjoying your, you know, youth and your, you know, prime of health 
whilst balancing it with reading and kind of going crazy and going ham on on educating and learning and and building stuff Emmanuel do you see that balance or do you think it's kind of work hard for five years and then live the rest of your life great how do you approach it um for me it just comes down to delayed gratification um I think that that's something that we're not taught um Mm. when we're young is to delay our gratification we live in a world instant everything is instant you know you go to the when you used to get on a train if you get to the train station it says four minutes you're going mad do you know what i mean and they say it's a good service like everything has to be here now done yesterday and i think um delay gratification is something that we that we need to learn and understand that if we put something i'm not saying everything but if we put something away now and invest that for our future in the future our investments will pay for the the lifestyle we want to live um, and that's something that a lot of us don't realise or learn too much much later in, in life. And obviously, if you know about compound interest and compounding and so forth, the earlier you start, the better it, the better it is. So um, for me, yes, have, enjoy life, but budget that. Don't just enjoy life, budget that um, yeah. is, a big, is a big thing that we need to do. Yeah, great point. And, and Stephanie, from your personal experience, you know, do you think you made mistakes when you were younger with money that everyone listening here could, could learn from? Yeah, definitely. So the important thing about money is that it flows and lots of money is going to go through your hands. So even if you're on what we call, you know, a low average, uh, uh, well, it's a low salary these days, isn't it? 20 grand a year. In 10 years, you have 200,000 pounds come through your hands. How much of that money do you keep? How much of that money do you grow? If you're living at home right now and you have any, you have money earning opportunities, what are you going to do with that money? And if you can even harness, you know, 25, percent or or even better 50 percent of the money that comes through your hands and make it worth more by investing in some of the strategies that we're going to be talking about this evening then that's a that's a recipe for success and and b would you you know would you agree with the kind of delayed gratification or do you see do you see a bit of balance or the other way around what's your view on it I think um, I absolutely agree with what Emmanuel was saying about delayed gratification. But, you know, I've always had the view that it's about balance. I do think it's about balance and it depends on what your goals are, Um, particularly with saving. I've always had the mentality that if you want something, if you want the nice handbag or the nice shoes, it doesn't mean that you can't have them. It just means that that's a separate goal to your saving goal. So I would always say that if you wanted something in particular, you've got to set additional money aside for a number of months and it will take you longer to achieve achieve that goal or to buy that thing that you wanted but it's about normalizing delayed gratification we can't always have everything instantly but we can still have it all it's just about balance and how we do it um and with regards to what you were saying about young people and the mistakes they make with money um the one that I encounter most and I didn't realize was so common was just having not enough knowledge about credit and how important your credit is and um, your, your financial trail. So I think that that's where a lot of young people go wrong because it's quite a difficult mistake to repair if you're not knowledgeable with, about that from a young age. Yeah, I think, you know, credit is actually something that you know, the consequences of your spending is I mean nothing's really taught to us in school about financial education but that in particular which is quite scary the consequences which can stick with you for life especially in certain countries yeah it's not taught at all. Kwesi you know you must see younger people or young people all the time where you work um, you know kind of joining up whether it's graduates whether it's people on their third or fourth jobs what kind of mistakes do you see the people maybe making around you who are working in banking in a kind of I guess you could say wealth generating industry what kind of mistakes do you see them making yeah i mean that's a great question i think the same the mistakes i see them making are the same mistakes i made when i got into the industry so 
like I say, I, I came from a pretty low socioeconomic background. We didn't have, um, when, you, when you come from the kind of background I came from, money's not, it's less about saving it and it's more about getting it in the first place to spend on daily living expenses. So that, uh, what I call a scarcity mindset where you're, you're conditioned to feel that money is a scarce resource. And Stephanie touched on the fact about how, the flow of money which is something that you learn once you start working in the industry. But they were making, so I joined and I, I'd come as a student, but I had lots of student debts, I had lots of credit card debts. Um, Dee touched on credit. My credit was really shocking. Um, I really lucked my way into the industry, but I then arrived and I was making the same mistakes of not keeping enough of the money that I was making and letting it flow out. So I think when they join often, um, if they're like me and they come from a background which doesn't involve a lot of money knowledge and um, education, financial literacy, then they don't necessarily understand some of the key elements around delayed gratification that Emmanuel was talking about, retention of money, savings, and all of those things. The, on the flip side, um, some people, obviously, they, everybody's different, and some people come from a different background, and I see people coming from a sort of middle class or or even upper class background and they have different challenges with money you know where they may be more conditioned to um save and, and invest this it's like actually what type of investments are they investing in are they investing in the right things are they going into bitcoin or crypto are they are they actually trading when they think they should be when they think they're investing so it varies it varies but i think the main thing is that people come in and they don't have enough financial awareness or knowledge about how money moves and how it flows and what you can do with it, as I, as I didn't. And the first thing I always tell people is that you need to change your relationship with money. It needs to be a more um, intentional relationship with money that you have, as opposed to it just coming and going, which is what was happening for me for a long time. Great. Great points. Uh, TJ, I know you work with young people. I know you, you do some work with, like, I think, is it high school kids you do some work with sometimes? 11-year-olds to 18-year-olds, yeah. So let's talk about them then, because that is the point where you're probably still quite heavily influenced by your parents and your friends and not necessarily the good parts of your friends in society. What kind of issues or problems do you see in that kind of age that are then going to sort of leak in to the rest of their lives? Absolutely. Um, it's our most impressionable years. It's our most susceptible years. We don't have enough role models. So we needed, we should have had 10,000 black kids or um, children or young adults on this specific call. There are seven or eight of us who are doing incredible things, million pound portfolios, dealing with millionaires. They should have been on this call, but rather they'll sit on Instagram, on YouTube and watch Drake. So that's the closest inspiration. And the closest inspiration is flashy. Because Drake doesn't come on and show us the 50 million pound mansion that he's bought, but Drake shows us the gold chain and the watches. So that's where their inspiration comes from. So when I do my program, which is the Boys to Men program, it's I, I, I pull out the, the luxury stuff. I, I come with my watches. Um, I used to, and again, I can talk about that later on. I bought a Lamborghini 18 months ago. I sold it straight away because going back to the initial question, I didn't understand money. And I'm a big old man and I didn't understand money. I didn't understand APR. I didn't understand the finance costs associated. They just said, hey, yeah, it's £2,000 a month. I'm like, yo, I'm getting that money. But when you start to add up that attire or cost £2,000 or £1,600 plus VAT to fix, then you start to understand that I could do better with my money and I had to sell it. But the point is, these young kids don't know what to do. So it's our job 
And again, that's why this, this program is incredible. Um, Tunde and his team, absolutely incredible. They've got to see people utilizing their money properly. How, whenever I look at anything luxurious to buy, I say, hold on one second. This item's going to cost me 1500 I could get a rent to rent in Birmingham for 1500 That's going to bring me six or 700 pounds per month. Then I can go and buy what I want to buy. I, I learned this from one of the property gurus and he talked about earned income and um, I think derived income. I can't remember which one it is, but essentially these young kids are spending money that they're working on a nine to five with, as opposed to spending on money that's earned from investing. And these are the kind of conversations they've got to have. So you can buy whatever the heck you want to buy. Buy whatever you want, buy that rolly, buy that AP, buy whatever you want, but make sure it wasn't due from your nine to five. Make sure it was the process of an investment. You bought a property, the value went up. If you decided to refinance to go and buy yourself a rolly, that's on you. No one can fault you at that point, but you would be, you would be wiser to refinance and buy another property. But yeah, anyway, but there's just so much that they need to learn. And again, that's why people like us are showing them that it's possible. You don't need to follow Drake or Stormzy, just they're normal people like yourselves that's come out the hood and um that are making some money yeah no yeah, great point and... can i just pick up on that point yeah, i think that's something that needs to be reinforced so you know the idea here that um tj was talking about is spending on your income or spending your income versus spending your investment income so you go to work you i i i, I, so I both i have a job i go to work i earn income from that job and then if i take that income and spend it on a car that's gone in order to get more income, I need to go back to work. Or I can take that same income that I've earned from my work and invest in, we're talking property and we'll get into property, but I'll give you a, a better example, um, income paying dividends, paying shares, a fund or an income fund or dividend paying shares. So now I've taken that same income that I earn and I've flipped it into something that in itself is going to produce income. What I've done is basically guaranteed myself income because those shares that I've bought are going to pay me income for the rest of my life. That also means that if I get income from those shares and I spend it, I haven't done anything to get to earn that. So I haven't worked for that income. It's just passive because I've bought those shares and I'm holding those shares and it's paying me income. Then I can go and do what Drake's doing with those derived income. And I think that's where we need to get to in a mindset and a financial awareness perspective, understanding that actually money that you have to work for versus investment income are two totally different things. And actually, to go back to the original question about wealth, most of the people, there's, there's two things that I'll talk about. I guess the, there's return of capital. So most of the people, when they want to invest, they're looking, I want to buy a house. I want to make X amount of profit. What they're not necessarily thinking about is I want to make sure I get my money back. And so they think about the profit before the return of capital. So return on capital ahead of return of capital. Wealthy people don't do that. They're like, how do I get my money back? And then once they have their money back, they still have the investment and that investment carries on paying them return. So yeah, the, the derived income is really where we need to get to be if you want to build wealth. But yeah, sorry about that. No, no, great, great addition. And, and TJ, great points from, from the get-go. There's a lot, I think, to discuss there. You know, society doesn't offer us necessarily the, the right role models. Um, and I think it's easy, like you said, to see the shine, to see the gold, to see the Lamborghini. But then, yeah, the cost of anything in a car like that is ludicrous expensive. And it's the same with like property. You might see everyone on this panel and say, oh, but they've got X many millions of property, but you're not seeing the headache. You're not seeing 
the essay I just got from my tenant complaining about something. You're not seeing the kind of stuff behind it. So it's important that we're here and shout out the mentor circle for, for sharing these things. Um, and we are going to get onto property and what Crazy touched on of, you know, assets and liability and also the, the general trend of sort of earned and passive income. But there was just a poll uh, in this, in this chat and it said, you know, have your, has your family taught you good money habits? And the answer was 50, 50 which is very interesting. And I want to kind of expand on that question briefly and maybe kind of go at it from maybe a cultural perspective, because every culture has its own set of beliefs, rules, views, traditions on everything, and especially money. Like I grew up, I'm Punjabi, I'm North Indian. So as is, you know, what we probably expected, I was learned to save, 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 only spend if you absolutely need it. And actually, much of my thoughts and habits haven't changed much. And it's, I think to my benefit. So I'm really interested to know from the panel, like culturally, what were you taught? So culturally and from your family, what were you taught growing up? And has that now changed? And, and if so, how has it changed? So B. It's really interesting, actually. Um, I talk about this often. So I'm half white and I'm half black. Um, my, my mother's English and my father's from Guyana. And it's really interesting the different money habits that they have ha they had. Um, I was primarily brought up by my mother for the majority of my life. So I feel that her financial habits probably had a larger impact, luckily. Um, but my father has more of a let money slide through. Um, you don't have to worry too much about it. You, you can pay a little bit off your credit card every month. You don't have to completely finish your credit card and close it you have to always just pay a little bit and my mum is a very very anti-credit person and I don't think that either of those mentalities are correct um, I'm actually pro-credit when it's when it's good credit and it's about understanding the difference between having good credit and having bad credit um, so I very much had to learn for myself because both of my parents had mindsets that I don't think would have benefited me or got me to the position that I'm at today but it's about just having an open mind and taking what they've they're kind of telling you is the correct way and then looking at their situation and how that's worked out or you really do have to to have that individual independent mindset and do your own research um because not everybody has the benefit of having kind of a good money mindset passed down from their parents yeah well said emmanuel have your has your money mindset changed from when you were younger um it's definitely changed um like i said where i grew up in the hood um <laughs> like when i went to school I was going Lidl's before Lidl's was cool. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that was standard. Like, I had air bubbles that didn't bubble. Do you know what I mean? It was hard. I had, do you know what I mean? When I tell you I used to get roasted, I had to learn. I had to learn how to cuss because I was getting roasted every day. Do you know what I mean? My, my dad is an accountant, so he's very tight. Uh, my mum is... Both my parents are Nigerian, but my mum is Nigerian, Nigerian. Like, so church sunday church you've got to wear your best we're broke but you've got to dress in your best clothes oil your face you know what i mean we've got to do the dance and, and drop money into this hole i'm looking at you dropping this money knowing that listen how am i getting lunch on monday do you know what i mean but it's that that mentality is it's just it's just culture and it you know you, you know when you get a new car you drive it to the front of church and pick the person out just so everyone can see that you're going up in life this is how i grew up so when you're when you now when you now make money, like Chrissy was saying, when I got into the bank in 2021, 20, 22, financial advisor, earning money, oh Lord, I was living my 13-year-old life. I'm buying trainers in different colours. I don't even wear trainers. I was buying basketball trainers 
these times I wasn't even playing basketball. But because when I was meant to be playing basketball, I didn't have basketball trainers. Do you understand? So it happens in life that you you know you have to grow out of that. And even as a financial advisor, I was making bad financial moves because of my environment and the people around me. So it took time for me to learn um, and go through. And that's why these things are important because people will assume that because you're at a certain stage now, you've always had a certain mindset, but it's not the case. Thank you, Emmanuel, for that very honest, um, for that very honest insight. I think we all definitely appreciate that. Um, Stephanie, how have your views changed from maybe what your parents taught you to what was around you to, to what it is now? Yeah, so my parents are Jamaican and my mum, it was very, very good with money. They, they both worked actually. And they, there was a lot of good money management because we lived in, you know, I think in a better house, maybe in a better neighborhood than the income would really suggest. Um, They had a lot of ambition, but I don't think, I don't feel that I really understood what was going on because when I had my own uh, assets to manage or my own money to manage, let's say there's no assets, there wasn't it, there were no assets involved. As we talked about earlier, the flow just went past me. So I've earned, and I did get to a stage where eventually I came onto a good salary and so much money had flowed past me. And when I look back and think, how much money have I earned in a lifetime? And then in the last four years since I've been um, full-time in property um, and built up, you know, not only the business, um, but also assets that we, that we own, because I, um, I know that we're going to get onto this later. But once you have assets that you own, that's where it, it really starts um, and that, that your money buys the assets then the assets provide money and the income from the assets you could then go on to buy more assets and more assets and it all builds on from there oh you're muted no i was hoping the whole time i would not do it damn it um crazy so i think it it puts you on mute automatically because i was yeah let's pay close attention it wasn't my fault Let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's blame the system. Yeah, that's fine. So it was Zoom, it was Zoom. Um, how has your view changed growing up to now and your views on money in general? I guess it's changed a lot. <laughs> um, as I was growing up again, like when I was, um, where, where I was growing up, money wasn't something that we talked about around the dinner table, for example. Um, now I have two children. We talk about money almost every day. Um, when I was growing up, I, we didn't, debt was a bad thing. My parents always talked about debt in a negative way. Whenever debt came up, it's because there was credit card bills or whatever loans that needed to be paid off. When I talk about my children's about, about borrowing, I talk to them more in a sense of leverage. I mean, in my, day, in my day-to-day work, debt is definitely not a bad thing. We make billions from debt. So credit is, we talked about credit, like credit works two ways. You know, I talked to my, my, we're right. And we should definitely have the awareness of our, our credit score and all of that. But there is also another element of credit of um, lending. So you can actually lend money, that's credit. And you can make a return on that credit that you give to people. So my view of, you know, my view of money has totally changed 180 from what, um, Emmanuel talks about this point. All right, so I'm going to call myself out here and don't, don't laugh at me, but one of the things that I have behind me is this thing. I don't know if anybody else used to watch X-Men, but these are two X-Men toys. Emmanuel, when I was a kid, I was a mad fan of X-Men and I couldn't afford these toys. 
Now I'm a big man. <laughs> and I got these. But this is, this is the interesting point. So whenever I get these toys and I play with these toys with my kids, we buy two of them. And I don't have them here because they're in my loft. But we buy two of them. And I explain to the kids that I'm giving them, I'm buying them one toy. I'm buying them a toy, but we're buying two toys. One is going to stay in the box. And we research the toys that we buy. We don't just go to the shop and buy cheap toys. Because this is the thing, you know, when I was a kid, my parents would buy me the cheapest toys they can afford. Hello, kid. I'm, I'm on, come and say hello. Come. Uh, my parents would buy me the cheapest toys that they can afford. Whereas now, when you've got kids that are so cute, you can't really afford to buy them the cheapest toys. So we normally, we normally research the toys. We don't just go out and we can't do this thing where we go out and just pick out a random toy. Yeah, I want this and take it home. No, we don't do that. You want a toy, we look at it, we investigate, we research. Actually, this toy is good, it's valuable, we buy two. This toy I'm holding you in my hand, I think I paid like £30 for it. I could probably sell it right now, not this one, but the one in my loft, brand new. We could sell it for about £60. We made 100% profit on this toy, and I explained this to my son. So this isn't something that my parents did. This isn't something that they taught me. We never even talked about this stuff. It was like, how can we keep our head above the water? But with my kids, I'm trying to make sure that they understand fully what investment is, what appreciation is what leverage is, and you know, and for the record, all of this is a loan to my kids. I want this money back plus profit. I love that. Educating the next generation. TJ, how have your views changed from when you were a kid to how you are now? Um, I'm still pretty much the same. I'm still trying to catch up to all the stuff that I got cussed about in school. I, I, I would never forget it because my friends don't allow me to forget it. I remember there was a time, what, what do you guys call it? A non-uniform day. And um, yeah, I said, mum, listen, we can't have an embar another embarrassing episode. Mum said, listen, there ain't no money coming. So I thought in my infinite swag, I took off the studs off my football boots and I wore my football boots with my tracksuit bottoms. I thought it was cool. My brethren up until today are still slewing me. So when I came into some money, the first pair of shoes that I bought were Giuseppe Zanotti's about 600, 700 pound shoes. And I posted it to my friends on our school WhatsApp group. And they were like, bro, they look fake. They look this, they look that. So I saved up shoes that I, I, I never wore, I never ended up wearing them. Because the reality is most of the people were trying to impress, they actually don't even care. I saved up my big money, six, 700 pound, and tried to impress people just to catch up to showing them that I wasn't a tramp like I was back then. And it still doesn't matter. And that taught me a lesson. Listen, live your life. Do whatever you need to do for yourself. Stay within your budget. Scarlett, please. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, um, babysitting is hard. I don't know how you guys do this stuff, man. But yeah, no, she's all right. She's all right. Um, TJ, have you frozen? All right, TJ, I'm going to... If you're stuttering when you're in the shop about to buy it... Oh, if you're... One second, internet's not working. Move on. Yeah, if you're stuttering or your hands are quivering when you're about to purchase that item, then you know deep within your soul you're not ready to buy it. That's a, that's a very good point. I think great points uh, and insight from, from everyone uh, on that and, and nice to see the differences between, between everyone and how things have changed. So speaking of change... Let's shift the conversation now on from wealth, although we, I think we could talk about this for ages. This is so interesting. Um, let's talk about property. So property is seen generally as something that is expensive. Um, 
is kind of hard work. You need a lot of money for deposits. You need a lot of money for stamp duty, tax this, tax that. Section 20, Article 24, you've got to leave all this money. You know, I think for a lot of people, especially growing up, you look at those who own property and you think, how am I going to do that? Like, how on earth, you know, you grow up in London. How am I going to get 10%, 25% as a deposit for these houses that cost, what, three, four, five hundred grand? It's like a one bed. And it's, it's very difficult to understand that actually property isn't just buy a house, leave money, hold it forever, get a bit of money. And you can do that. But there are multiple ways of doing it. And I know people in this chat do different ways of doing it. And a lot of these ways are quite accessible. So I'd love to know, you know, I guess from everyone in the chat, I guess it's kind of a, a question that can be answered in two ways. What was your first like property deal? How did you sort of fund it? How did you get into it? Whether it's residential, whether it's an investment. Alternatively, what do you think is the most accessible way to get into property and what does that strategy look like? Um, Stephanie, I'm going to start with you because I know the method that you teach is probably one of the most accessible ways to get into property, right? Yeah. So there's ways of getting into property where you don't have to buy a property. But as we talked about earlier, the end game has to be for us all that we want to buy assets and have you know, hold those assets, pass them on to generational wealth. But it's a great way to get started. And um, I, had, I, I explained earlier that I started doing this relatively recently, actually 2016. And the strategy is called Rent to Rent. And basically, you are doing a similar role to a letting agent. You're um, leasing a property from the owner for three to five years. You're then tenanting it with other tenants you're getting more rent from your tenants and then you get to keep the money in between. So you might pay a little bit of money to refurbish the property, but for, whereas if you're buying a property, you might need 50,000 pounds to do a rent to rent. You would need, would need usually around a few thousand pounds. So it's something that you could do either on your own or you can collaborate with other family members or friends or people who you meet through, through mentor circle. So it's, it's, it's what Ruby actually was talking about. She does it with Airbnb, but we, we do it with long-term tenants. And through doing that strategy, Tej, we built up so that we had, I, I do it with my sister. So we built up so that we had um, a contract worth over two million pounds over their contracts. And as a result of being working in this rent to rent where we didn't need a lot of money to start, we then started buying our own properties as well worth just over a million pounds, both quite small amounts in terms of property investors, but quite significant in the difference that they can make to your lifestyle. And also very significant in that you can just start within a year and make a really big difference to your life. But within five years, you can totally change it beyond recognition. Great. And TJ, I know you also teach rent to rent. Do you want to expand on what Stephanie said and maybe your, your views and experiences with rent to rents? Yes, um, just to um, preface the, the initial question about uh, getting into the strategy for the people who are listening. Um, Stephanie and I teach this specific strategy because it's deemed as a low entry strategy. So essentially, if you want to get into property and you don't have the vast network, you don't know how to network, you don't have people around you that can put up the money or you don't have the, the capabilities of networking, then rent to rent is 100% the best way. Um, I got into it by doing some very hard work. I, I think, Ted, we spoke about this on your podcast. 
I set up a roller skating company to deliver leaflets, which is the stupidest thing in the world because it makes no sense because people live in houses, people live in blocks of flats. But I thought it was the most like craziest and smartest business in the world. And I've still got bad back pains from running that business. But essentially the point I'm trying to make is if property is something you 100% want to get into, quit the excuses and you will find a solution. If it means you've got to take a second job, a third job, a fourth job, whatever the case is, just do whatever you need to do. Obviously, the smarter answer in 2020, which I didn't know then, was to network, was to JV, was to partner with people. But if you don't have access to any of those people and you say, as Stephanie and I are saying, you can genuinely start in rent to rent in property for less than a thousand, two thousand pound. Then if you pick up a second job, if you pick up a third job, just get serious. Find out if you honestly want to get into property and you will find a way to get it done. Simple as simple. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think that's a good point on mindset as well. It's yes, you know, the opportunities are there, the, the strategies are, the techniques are there. But if you don't believe, like Emmanuel said at the beginning, that like believing is achieving, if you don't believe you can do it, if you don't think you can actually carry this out, then you never will, right? Uh, B, tell me your first experience with property. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my exposure to property was essentially circumstantial as well, because I had to move out. I think I just turned 19, just turned 19. I had to move out and rent um, by myself. <clears throat> I just dropped out of university. I was working for Virgin Media doing direct sales. Um, I didn't know what career I was going to go into really. Um, and I was renting. So I was kind of I always say to everybody that if you can stay home, stay stay at home as long as you can to save, especially if you have the dream of buying your first home, because I realise not everybody um, looks at property in that way. So you can can look at it as buying your first home or you might want to put that money into um, a property you're going to be making an income from straight away. Or you could do something like I've done and and buy your first home and rent out a room while you're in it. Or that there are different ways of looking at it. But something I did want to do was, was own a home because I was spending so much on rent and I had to um, I thought I'd rather be putting this money into something that I own and so that's where my journey started um, also on the other hand I'm an interior designer so I was exposed to the industry largely um, dealing with developers and um, people who are investing in property essentially and I had a job coming for a rent to rent property um, and that was when I first understood that it wasn't subletting I had no idea I didn't I was not knowledgeable on the industry at all um and that's when I first kind of opened my eyes to the various strategies and I started to educate myself that way and that's really my exposure to the industry um I'm quite early on on my property investment journey I have a property investment company and we will be looking at the rent to rent strategy um, and potentially moving on to serviced accommodation to make the most of my design skills essentially and my knowledge of what is marketable Great tips. Yeah, I think staying at home is, is it saves you an, a crazy amount of money. I'm 27. I'm still living here. I'm going to whisper that because my mom's probably going to shout at me and tell me to get out. But it saves you so much money um, and it's good food. You know, it's win-win. Um, Emmanuel, what was your first experience with property? And also, do you think, as a kind of extra question to you, that, that anyone can get into property no matter what their situation or circumstances um i guess to answer the question in regards to property i'm different i come from a finance background so mainly investing so um property is something i'm now getting into more now um but in regards to helping people get property i've 
done mortgages for thousands of people over my career um, in regards to helping people source properties and so forth. But my own ownership journey, um, I'm, I'm just, at, just doing it now. Um, because for me, I was more focused on, like I said, I have my three things. I was more focused on investments and business. And now for me, um, working in the industry that I was in, I hated it. Um, I hated working for these companies because I just never fit in. So there's no point in me getting a house and having to, you know, pay this mortgage and have to work for these people. I focused on getting my own business and being able to work for myself and feed my family off my own hands. And so that's where, that's where I'm at. So that was more my focus than, than property. And that's a, that's the lesson that I try and teach everyone is you've got to know what you want to get into. You don't have to finish uni and buy your first house just because that's what other people do. And because everyone's celebrating that on Instagram, you don't need to be celebrated on Instagram. It's cool. Just chill, be yourself. Um, yeah. In regards to, um, can anyone get into property? Um, learning from TJ, yes. I would have to say before I met TJ, I didn't, I didn't really feel, I didn't really feel like anyone could get into property um, because I didn't really understand rent to rent and so forth. And that's something that me and TJ have have well, t- spent a lot of time talking back and forth in regards to it being real. Because obviously, I see a lot of these people trying to sell these dreams, um, and um, I, I challenged him harshly on it. And um, he answered every question and showed me proof. So definitely learning from TJ and the rent to rent um, and serviced accommodation with the right mentor, definitely I think anyone can get in, into property. That's, that's facts. Um, but in regards to, um, from my point of view, getting a mortgage and going the traditional way, <laughs> there's criteria. So you have to, you know, there's certain things, boxes that you have to tick. But I think um, if we want to be, if you can't get into it that way, then rent to rent is a good way to build up and then, then be able to tick those boxes later down. Um, so yeah, I'd say learning from TJ, yes, it is possible at any stage. Love it. Uh, and Kwesi, what, what are your thoughts? Um, and, yeah. and I guess, so, yeah. No, go on. I was to say, what are your thoughts on, you know, like when you're starting out or when you started out, you know, did you do it in a way that was quite accessible or did you sort of maybe get a job and save up and save up? Like, was your approach accessible, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, my approach is definitely accessible because I did. I wasn't born with money sitting around to go and, and buy it. I had to work for every penny, every pound in order to access property. So if I can do it, you can do it. You might not be able to do it the same way that I did it. I had this conversation with someone the other day that I mentor, and they were saying to me that um, basically the only way that they can get a property is to go to uni, get good grades, work for investment banks, save money. And I'm like, no, there's many different ways to do it. That's just the way that I did it. But now I know what I know. If I started again, I would not do it the same way. So my approach was accessible, but I still, I wouldn't, I've learned, I've evolved. Um, Rent to rent didn't even exist when I started. And that wasn't even that long ago. Um, But to answer your question, my first property was my um, house that I live in. Actually, we're here right now. I still live here. This was my first property. So to, to, get this pra- to get this place at the time, I was broke before I started. The way that I got this property wasn't because I had bags of money. It's because literally it's because I came up with a plan. It's because I sat down one day and I said that this is what I want to do. And I came up with a plan to do it. So and, and to, to, the, to, to achieve that plan, involved many things one of the main things that i had to do to achieve that plan was get rid of a lot of my bad debt 
that's something that's accessible to everyone, regardless of what you want to do, whatever, whatever your goals are, whatever this prop, you know. So if my, my approach was accessible to everyone because the formula is accessible to everyone. And actually, um, so it's something that we call the financial freedom framework at the Slow Money Club. And there's a number of different steps to it, but it's, it's actually my formula or what I did is something that everybody can do. So my first property was my home. My first investment property came many years later. And to the earlier point that Stephanie TJ have both made, there are two real elements. So at the time, I would say that one of the most important things that everybody needs to do when they're doing this type is understand what their motivations are, because they're two distinct elements. Stephanie mentioned that the end goal for everybody is the same, which is about ownership. She also talked about, and TJ talked about, the entrance approach, which is control. So you have control strategies and ownership strategies. The, they have both pros and cons. So it's accessible to everyone, but it just depends whether you meet the pros or the cons. The main thing about the control strategies is that you can derive income without having to own the physical asset. Um, so you can get income from an asset you don't own. You control the asset you don't own. This is an unusual thing. A lot of the things about in property is that all of this stuff exists in banking in some way, shape or form. But so you have the control strategy, we have the ownership strategy. For me, getting into property, to Stephanie's point, because I started, and I say this to everybody, if you're going to start, start with why. Understand your reasons, understand your motivation. Point one on the financial freedom framework is don't make it about money. So understand what's motivating you. And for me, it wasn't about money. It was about wealth, actually. It was about generational wealth. So early on, it was quite clear the control strategy doesn't work for me because I don't get to build generational wealth by controlling it. I do that by owning it. So then actually I know myself and I know for already I've set this plan. I know that I know I need an ownership approach that works. Then again, I go down that path. Is my, my route accessible? I didn't, I, I, I might've been, I came from, I didn't come from money, but I might've had a good job with good income, but I still had to build up a lot of money. The way that I did that was by what, what um, Emmanuel was talking about. I started investing. The difference between property and other types of investments is the barrier to entry. To buy a house, you need a lot of money. I can buy shares with 50 quid. And if it goes up 10%, 20%, 100%, I still get that rate of return on my 50 quid. So what I did was instead of, when, instead of maybe buying a rent-to-rent -rent contract and then getting the cash flow from there, I invested in shares and then got my growth from there. So I used that income and those, the, the appreciation in those shares to help me build up my pot. And then I divested that into property. And that was, a, that was all part of my plan. So when I decided that actually I wanted to get into property, I understood my reasons why, came up with a plan, put the framework around myself, started saving, paid down my debt, built up the pot, and then went and purchased my first property. And if you ask me, I think that approach is accessible to anyone. Yeah, great answers, everyone. Now, a common question from, you know, not just young people, but anyone of any age with any experience is always, when do I invest in property? Because, you know, we had Brexit. You've got um, all these economical factors. We've got coronavirus. Um, you know, we've got the world economy just printing money. And, you know, it looks like a mess. And I think it feels like a mess as well. Um, and, you know, I, I think I know what a few of you are going to say. It's about the mindset you're approaching it with. But, like, Stephanie, in, in your opinion, is there a right time to invest in property and considering sort of where the economy is, is now the right time to sort of start either buying or controlling assets? Yeah, I think usually owning property is a long-term game. 
you get the capital appreciation or the properties go up in value when you have them for a long time. So what I was going to say, Tej, is that for people listening and maybe are in their early 20s or maybe younger than that, um, you might be thinking, well, I can't afford to buy a property. And a great way to think about it is to turn that on its head and say, how could I afford to buy a property? And that's something that uh, Quasi mentioned when he was talking, is he came up with a plan. Now, your plan at the moment, depending what your income levels is or are, or even if you're not working yet, might, might take a lot longer. But you might say, oh, well, I'm going to live at home for so many years. The second part of it is, is to ask better questions. That's the first part. That lets your mind start thinking about how you could do this. And the second thing is there are 6 billion people in the world. And there are quite a lot of them have actually done the thing that you want to do. So, for example, B has bought her first home very early. My son is just in the process of, well, he's just recently completed at the beginning of coronavirus on his first home. Um, so there are people who know how to do this. Uh, so talk to other people, make your plan, share it with people you trust so that you, people who you trust who have done what you want to do and then implement. And the last point I wanted to make is that you can also collaborate. So for example, I work with my sister. So perhaps maybe you have a sibling who you get on with, who you could buy your first property together if you don't feel that you could, <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're not so keen on that one. Who, but there might be somebody who you can collaborate with to make the process shorter to buying your first property. Um, B, when you were buying um, this first property, did, it, did you think about the market or where it's going to be? Or did you look at the long game? Or what was your view on sort of the world, the wider world? Of yeah. Property? Well, you know, I, mine actually exchanged and I moved in <clears throat> just before, a couple of months before this pandemic. Um, I did look at the market, but I definitely am in it for the long run because I'm living here. Um, and then I would have plans to essentially rent it out so that was always my plan um I didn't really I wasn't really concerned about how the market was fluctuating at the time because I know that it's is I've already added to this property by doing the renovation so my project my property was a project essentially um it's a period conversion and I put money into it to make it what it is now and so that was more what I was focused on, making sure that I was going to be adding to increase the value of the property so that when I eventually do want to sell it down the line, um, the lease is up to scratch, everything is how it should be, and it's ready, it's ready to be marketed. Okay, so I, I like that. So even though it's a residential, there was still a lot of thought going into it that actually it's, it's a pile of bricks and mortar, but actually I'm living in it, but it is an investment and it can make me money whilst yeah. being somewhere nice to live so it's interesting how the two worlds kind of cross there um tj tell yes. me um i don't think there's i think buying buying anything making any investment ultimately depends on sorry one second ultimately depends on where you are there is no rush um as long as you know that the option is there um sorry guys yeah go back go back, go back. Um, <laughs> now I see how those people on BBC do this stuff. Yeah, um, I, I don't think there should ever be a rush. Um, I think the market, there's uncertainty at the moment. But as long as you're looking to play the game long term, 
um, use this period to learn. There are many people on here that haven't heard about multiple strategies. There are many people that don't even know that they qualify to, um, as, a, as a landlord to get a buy to let mortgage, to, to, to go into commercial. So I think just use the initial stage to educate yourself. And then I apologize for these. No, no, no apologies needed. Emmanuel, as someone who you know, works with mortgages and finance products, uh, you know, in your opinion, is there a right time to invest? And is it now? Um, good question. Um, it's, it's, a deal is a deal. Now, if you've, got a right, if you've got a deal, you've got a deal. It doesn't matter if it's Corona, if, it's, if the market's up, if the market's down. If you've got a good deal, you've got a good deal. And I think that's what people need to focus on. I think the problem is, is that, and obviously what the Chancellor's hoping is that everyone's going to get gassed about stamp duty. Let's remember, most people are paying two, three grand stamp duty. So I don't know why we're running around acting like we're all buying half a million pound properties and saving 15K. Most people's stamp duty is two, three grand. So I don't know what kind of saving you think you're going to have. Um, if that... So um, I think we need to make, make it make sense and just chill out, um, make sure the deal is right, look at what you're, what you're purchasing. Um, I think in, into, into what um, Questy was talking about, I think that's a big thing now, which obviously is B, um, BRRR, which is a lot of people doing. And that is a strategy that I think a lot of us need to start thinking about, is putting your money into, looking at, don't just look at, look at okay, I want to get a property and get a mortgage and just to go on Instagram and tell everyone I've got a house, but look at, what can I get for my money that will invest in it that I can actually get my money back out? Um, and when you, can, when you can think about getting your money back out, then you can go and get another one. Imagine if you could every year buy a new house with the same 20, 20 grand that you saved up once. Do you, do you, like, when you really think about it, it's, it's so simple, but yet we, that's not what we're thinking about. We're thinking about, we buy, when I buy it, number one, we want to go homes under the hammer just because we've seen it. We've been watching it on BBC One so much. We want to do an auction. You ain't got a clue. Never bought a house in your life. You want to go to auction. Don't do it. Um, number two is that when we do buy this house, you know, we, number, we want to stay in London because we want to be next to our friends who we never really see anyway um, and make us feel like, you know, our friends are coming around. The dinner set has not been used in 10 years. You don't need to. The friends, they're not coming. All right. They're not coming. Chill out. They're not coming. <laughs> Um, free is about making sure that what are we getting so this is why the importance of your credit making sure you're looking after your credit so you get the best rate if you want to make BR you want to make that work you need to get the best rate you want to get 1.1 1.2% on your mortgage in order that your monthly payments are as low as possible the mortgage rate is as low as possible so you need to have a plan to say how do I make sure I get the best rate this is the stuff that I do with my clients in, in time way before the problem is is that we wake up maybe we inherit some money or we, we manage to get money somehow and all of a sudden we want to buy a house. Our credit is out the window. You know, we still done them scams. You know, we did the 419 at university and now it's come to catch us up. Um, so these are the type of things where we have to plan it and make sure that we've got things structured so that we have a strategy for what we're doing and not just buying property or getting into property because the chancellor says it's a good time or because or because you want to impress friends but actually have a, a strategy like what, what Cressy was talking about. Very good answer. The chat box, I don't know if you can see it, but it is popping off with support for you, Emmanuel. Emmanuel for, for Prime Minister, I think people are saying here in the chat. I think I just I just saw. Um, great answer. You know what? I, I got beef with Homes Under the Hammer. I was meant to be on it for two properties and they never contacted me. So yeah, I feel your pain. And, and just for BRR, uh, Volta, you're with us. 
Yes, I am, my friend. I'm could back, you yeah. could you explain to uh, for people in the chat who have no idea what BRR is, buy refurbish refinance, like what is it and why is it so magical? Yeah, so it's magical, but it has a lot of pitfalls. But it's magical, yes. <laughs> so uh, okay, so BRR, you buy a property. Uh, normally, why tend to do? I buy a property as a four bed, and I tend to convert them into six. Uh, basically, you add value to the property, and then what you do, uh, you can buy that property in cash or bridging, uh, and then you remortgage that property, basically add value, and then, um, so you buy, you remortgage, and then, uh, no, you buy refurbish first, yeah, you have to refurbish the property first, and then you remortgage. So what you can do, you can basically recycle the money. After you've done that, you can take the money and go back again and do it again. So that is what uh, allowed me to uh, just recycle the money and go it again and, and build the portfolio. So it's a very good strategy, of course. Tej, Tej and everyone uh, here in the panel know we you know, need to educate ourselves because you know we need to deal with the builders, we need to deal with the bankers. Uh, but yeah, it's a great, great strategy. Yeah, I think I've done a few um, BRRs in my time and I think it's 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 magical when you are using other people's money as they call it an investor's money, because you know, you put in pretty much zero, you do all the work, which <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> um, and then, you know, in X amount of time, you have that money back again. So I've done a BRR in three months. So I could do four of these in a year with the same pot and give it back to the investor and carry on. Or if I had my own money, I could buy four properties in a year yeah. with the same pot. I shave a bit off every time as opposed to the traditional way of just, buying it and then you know just just carrying on with it um, wait Volta, for 10 years yeah yeah well yeah exactly volta um i've heard something that you buy one property a month is that is that yeah. talk talk so, to me about that because that sounds like a lot <laughs> when you add it up yeah so at the moment i'm buying a property a month so basically what i do i have a pipeline of properties and uh I buy, I have four properties at the same time. The same thing, I just do the same thing. I buy just HMOs, which is house of multiple occupancy. Um, I tend to do just one thing at the, uh, uh, you know, first just do it until uh, I get the system in place or have a system in place. I get these properties, I do four, then I buy another four, I do four, and then I buy another four. Um, that's the way um, I'm doing. So you, because, you know, I started as a sourcer, so I, I know how to find properties. That's not the problem. Then I had to know how to raise money, as you said, use other people's money. Uh, but yeah, you know, when you have track record, you can, you know, people start basically throwing money at you if you have a track record. Yeah. No, I wasn't muted. I was, I was just, I was miming. Ah, okay, I, was, okay. I was miming. Um, so, uh, Tunde asked a question to everyone in here and 76% of people do not have a plan to buy slash acquire their first property slash physical asset. So I really want to hear off as we're kind of coming towards eight o'clock. I really want to hear how everyone can advise the 166 people in, in this, uh, in this event, how they can create a plan to go from, you know, I know it differs for everyone, but a general plan from where we are today to getting that first asset. Uh, Kwesi, I'd like you to start us off, please, if you will, sir. Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. The, but, but I'll pick up on two points, actually. Someone mentioned earlier, we were talking earlier about how to start, and people were talking about um, moving out of home in order to build up your pot. 
I would just make the point, and that, that works. And I think be a, some people, that's the best way. Stay at home as long as possible. Um, Tej, stay in your mom's house forever. If you're going to do those deals, just, I'm just trying. Stay keep doing it. Keep doing mm. it. For me, it was the opposite. So I had to leave home as soon as possible. I left home at 18 to go to uni. I came back for about four months when I graduated. Then I was gone again. That was the best thing for me because we talked earlier about the, the, what we learned from our family. Being outside of that environment allowed me to develop the mindset that I have now. If I had been going to work and then coming home every day and being in that same environment, it would have dulled the sharpness a bit. So being outside that environment, if I, I mean, for example, I remember even, it took me a long time to buy my first investment property because I'd, I'd often have conversations with my mom or even other family members, and I say, I want to buy a house, and they'd give me all the negatives, all these limiting beliefs. They put all these limitations in my head about it's going to be, it's going to cause a mess. You're going to have, you know, the landlord troubles, all of that, all of those pain points. Is all this. So being, for me, moving out allowed me to develop my own mindset. And I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you guys um, a tip. There's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It takes pride of shelf on my, the pride of place on my shelf here. But Thinking Fast and Slow is the greatest book you will ever read. Um, yeah, but I wanted to make that point. The, to answer your question, you know, as I said earlier, the plan was the first thing that I did. I, it's something I said to someone earlier that when I was working, I had this great professional role. I had this strategic approach to delivery. And then in my personal life, it was a mess. I used to go out, as Emmanuel was saying, man, I live my life. I have no complaints about everything that happened from 21 to 27. But to Stephanie's point, a lot of money flowed out. It was like that away. It wasn't until I came up with a plan that it started to stick around. So to get to your question, I think for me, it's quite simple. If you want to, um, when, you're, when you're coming up with a plan, you need to understand yourself. You need to understand your motivations. You need to understand your reason why understand why you want to get into property not just because you want to get into property because it's a buzzword or because you've been on a training course and someone told you and tj told you all about rent to rent to sa and now your you know your eyes are all bulging and you're like wow no because that doesn't answer your why you need to know your why before you know if sa rent to rent is right for you so start with your why and then come up with a plan when you come up with a plan the best way to do that in my day job i work in strategy what's what strategy is to define it is coming up with a high level plan for the long term. So you need to come up with a high level plan for the long term, i.e. a strategy. To come up with a strategy or a plan, you need to understand what the landscape is, what the options are, what the components are, and then put those components together. You need to understand a bit about rent to rent, a bit about HMO, a bit about buy to let, and pull those pieces together. That's how you formulate a plan, starting with the knowledge acquiring the basic knowledge then you come up with a high level plan that is still high level you then drill down into each of those components so how do you save how do you eliminate debt how do you find out more about options for rent to rent all of those are different components of your plan but yeah the, the main real main thing is understanding why understanding yourself having enough knowledge to come up with a high level plan for the long term Hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, definitely. Stephanie, what is your why? And is it a vital part to your plan? Or was it a vital part to your plan when you were sort of acquiring those first properties? 
Yeah, I didn't even know that I had a why or a big purpose or that, you know, what my destiny was. It just felt very much like um, work, sleep, eat, repeat kind of style. Um, I, I Now I feel that my purpose is to, well, first of all, I feel that I could have started earlier had I realized my own potential. And so one of the things that inspires me is helping to people to flick the switch and say, yes, you can, because we, a lot of us tend to have that oversupply of no, you can't. And um, so, so that's what, what drives me forward. When we were buying our first property, actually, first investment property, we had both got, uh, my sister and I, separately individual residential properties previous to that. But um, when we were buying our first investment property, you know, we started in 2016 doing rent to rent. I think it was the end of 2017 that we actually bought uh, our first property for investment purposes. It was a commercial property and um, it, it, it kind of boggles my mind now. We were buying it in cash on the basis that we could refinance out quickly. Um, that didn't happen. The, quick, the speed didn't happen. It was a very painful process. But just even the fact that we were able to buy that, uh, that property in cash, even the fact that when we came on to buy our later property, which is a 12-unit property, which is more than I would have thought that what we would have been buying, um, uh, you know, somebody we know invested also into that property. So I unfortunately do need to dash off. But so I just want to encourage people, as I say, to get started, as you've said, to make that plan and to do it on the basis of how can I, how could I, who do I know who? And to give your mind the time and the inspiration to be able to think, because the great thing that you all have on your side is youth and property is a grain where you cannot lose over the long term. Uh, so it's been amazing, incredible to join you all uh, this evening and to be part of uh, the mental circle, uh, circle that uh, Tunde has created. And thank you, Tej, for being a, an amazing host. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephanie. Um, I know we're not even, we're almost done, but everyone in the chat, I don't know if, if any of the, the, the panelists can see, everyone is saying part two, we need a part two, bring them back. Someone's offered to pay for all of our Nando's. So I'm coming back. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm coming back for that. Um, literally, they're just saying part two over and over again. So this is testament to all of you panelists and the value you are delivering. So I'm going to finish off on, on, continue with this question about, I guess, the why. Emmanuel, from a a financial point of view you know what what considerations should people you know put into place what things should they be thinking about as they sort of build a plan to become mortgageable to have good credit and to then acquire an asset um i think other than what everyone else has said everyone said that the main parts i don't think they i don't think it's like rocket science so we need to try and change the world but i think what's important is is that humbling ourselves and understanding where you got to start. So for example, I see a lot of people and they will tell me, oh, I can't start, I can't buy a flat because I, like, I, want, I don't want leasehold, I want freehold. My guy, you're on 15K a year, what do you mean? Like, you're on 15K a year, you want to live near your mum, like, it's not for you. Like, you're going to have to get a flat. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Sometimes we're not realistic at where we have to start. We've read a couple books and, you know, we feel like we know the knowledge is there. Like, you have to understand where you are and get start. Because, again, sometimes you want to buy in London, for example. You're going to spend 10 years saving to buy a house in London. 
but you don't understand that over that 10 years, if you bought a house outside London, when you would have gone to buy that house in 10 years' time, you would have had equity as well as savings to go and buy something bigger and better. And so this is the problem. It's like we read the books and the books are great. Don't get me wrong. Reading books are amazing. But sometimes we need to get that, that professional help from either someone who's done it before or someone that actually knows what, what it is on the ground. Because again, imagine a lot of the books are reading are American, you know. It's a different system. It's a different, like you can read Rich Dad Poor Dad all day long and the principles apply. But how they apply in the UK is different to how they apply in the US. And so for me, it's about understanding what's going on. So for example, I've got people who, young people, you know, and I tell them, look, you're in your mum's yard. You're not paying no bills. So you have no excuse. This is what we're going to save. And then we're going to get you on as quick as possible. So we might use um, the help to buy scheme. And then we have a five-year plan, help to buy scheme. You jump on the help to buy. Five years is interest-free. We talked about other people's money. So if I can get 20% from the government, put 5% down, and in five years' time, I can sell that house, and they take 20% of the, and I keep 80% of the profit. I don't understand. It's, it's the simple way to get on there if you're financially restricted. It's about using what's out there. For other people, you've got grandparents. Go holler at them. They will give you money. Like, you've got, you've, you've got that opportunity. But if you haven't, and you're on your own, look at what's available to you. Like, I, I, people have said, get out multiple jobs, other streams of income. I think sometimes the problem is, is that, you know, we say we want stuff, but we don't really want it. I always tell people, you say you want stuff, but what you're, when you're supposed to be doing what you say you want, you're watching EastEnders. So you don't really want it. And it's cool. It's cool not to want it. I need people to know today, yeah, it's cool to not want to be a millionaire. It's cool to just want a nine to five, come home and chill and have a eat. That is cool. Don't ever feel like you have to want more just because, mo because that's what's cool. Like, it's cool to just live that humble lifestyle, stay in your mum's house to your 40. Maybe your mum might pass away or grandma pass away. You inherit a house and now you've got a yard. That's a cool plan if you want that. But if you want more, then I need you to do more. You can't do what everyone else does and expect to get what the mi minority get. Do you understand? You need to be doing what everybody else is not doing. And that's a, a big thing for me when we talk about financial freedom. Yeah, if you want more, do more. I love it. Um, the chat again is is really loving what you're all saying, and and yeah, I, I definitely need you all to read this chat once it's done because there's a lot of love and support for all of you in this chat. Um, TJ, when you are teaching people, especially younger people, how important? And no, actually, no, not how important because it is important. How do you get them to think in a way that is based on a plan and get them to stick to it to yeah. reach their goal? Cool. So that was a that was a difficult question because I was sitting here trying to formulate an answer that might fit in line with the rest of you guys. Um, I'm not a plan person. Um, I'm I'm quite scattergunned. Um, I'm thankful because of my adversity to risk. I'm I'm high risk, so it means I might do ten things and one might work for me. But that's just me. Now. I don't think everyone needs a plan at the beginning. Of course, in order to grow, there's got to be strategy. In order to grow, in order to get to the next level, you've got to know what you're doing. But I'm talking about right from the beginning, all you have is information, energy, and some crazy motivation. I'm saying follow the money. I'm saying strictly follow the money. And again, not to promote my book, but again, I'm a salesman. Go grab my book. It's called, I didn't even know the name of my own book. <laughs> I'm so ratchet. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I did come to sell books. Oh, no, it's not even that one. See, man's got my property book on the shelf. That's my dog <laughs> right there. You get me? 
But yeah, no, I meant untangling success, six key principles to having whatever the heck you want. I talk about intense intentionality. So it means putting every single thing on the line. So as Emmanuel said a second ago, if you want it, then you want it. If you are serious about it, then no matter what happens, you will find a way to go and get it. That's why I talk about, you can have a plan in place. And all of us on here, we've written a business plan at one point before, but the reality is we know that business plan actually means absolutely nothing. Because you say, I'm going to budget 5,000 pounds for advertising. And then you find out that advertising is actually going to cost 50,000. Or you think the way you're going to grow your business is going to go this way, but it never happens that way. Every single one of us have tried to buy a property in one month and it's taken six months. It's taken 12 months. I've just purchased a commercial that has been going on for two years. So the reality is, if you want it hard enough, you've just got to find a way. Your plans are going to go to crap, but you've just got to be so determined that no matter what happens, I'm going to go and find a way. Ask someone for the information. Ask someone for the money. Beg, borrow, don't steal. Just do whatever you need to do to, to get yourself on at this specific moment. As you want to grow, then you start to seek out the information that you don't have access to. Number one, I'm not an accountant, so I'm not going to try and do my own accounts. I would go to someone like Emmanuel who understands finance. If I need to know something, then you seek it out. But right at the beginning, as you guys are here, many of you haven't even heard about getting into property. Let the information actually drive you to seek further information and just flip and go and do something. Obviously, get a better understanding of the strategy because you will fail. That's the disclaimer. TJ didn't say it, so good luck. I love that. And I love the difference from, from people on the panel in this chat because it just shows you, like, do what works for you. Plans don't work for TJ, but plans work for other people in the chat. So it's kind of about, like, testing trial and error and, and seeing what works for you. Um, Volta, when we recorded our podcast together, I was tired just from listening to you because you are a absolute, absolute machine. And I think that's the best way I can describe you because of what you've achieved. How important or unimportant has a plan and a kind of step-by-step -step process been to you? Yeah. So I'm very different than TJ. So I'm more kind of my brain. I'm more kind of TJ might be more left, uh, right brain. I'm more kind of left brain, I'm more kind of plan. I have to be, so I, I, I go to bed always on time. I, you know, I have a ring that, you know, check my temperature, how tired I am. I have a chef. I'm a kind of, I like to get things done. I might not, I'm a very different, but that's the thing what uh, Tej says, I know myself. So this is a test you guys can do, um, 16 personality type test. So you need to understand yourself. So for example, I'm kind of, I'm the same personality type as Elon Musk. Uh, so I, one, I dream very big and I, you know, I just go and do it. Okay. So, but my has to be structured. So for example, I have a team, uh, my team knows that I really like things to be, you know, well done. So I'm kind of, so you need to understand yourself. And that's what Emmanuel said. Wealth creation doesn't need to be for everyone. You just need to be happy in the end of the day, but you need to understand yourself and create that life. Don't accept the life, okay? If I would accept my life, I would be in, in a country called Santo May Prince. No one even knows where is this, yeah? And, <laughs> okay, so I would be in that country. And, uh, you know, so, you know, don't accept, create your reality. Everyone can do, everyone can. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, everyone's personal results and achievements in this chat. And if we just compare TJ and Volters, they're both incredibly successful, but they do things totally opposite. So again, do what works for you. Uh, Tunde just asked a question and it was, has tonight's event changed your views on money? So there was a small 
there was a very tiny percentage who said no. There was a, a slightly bigger percentage who said yes. And the vast majority said absolutely. So I think it's a shout out to everyone on this panel for taking you know, their time this evening and actually showing people and changing people's mind. Actually, I can see the results now. 5%. So five people of those who voted said it hasn't changed their views. I think, you know, 95% of people having their views changed in one evening is pretty powerful. So big up the mental circle and big up everyone on this panel for just sharing their own truths and realities. But it is really helping people, which is, I think is incredible. So the last question I'm going to ask, and Tunde really wants me to ask this to all of you, is if you could go back in time, you know, five, 10 years, whatever, what is the one thing that you would tell yourself focused maybe on finances and money, but I'll accept any life lesson. What would you tell yourself that you think would maybe change your trajectory? B, would you like to start us off on that one? Yeah. If I went back five years, I think the, the main thing that I wish I knew was that being wrong isn't a bad thing. It's just an opportunity for growth. Honestly, I feel like it sounds really, really simple, but I had this kind of defense mechanism where I felt like I couldn't be wrong. And if you feel like you can't be wrong, then you're basically saying you have nothing to learn. So the more questions you ask, the more you'll learn, the more questions you ask, the, the right people will be attracted to you. And then all of a sudden you'll have this network that you need. You can, you can create your network by people coming to you. If you're an open-minded person, you're willing to be wrong and you're willing to learn. I really feel like that's the biggest lesson that I've learned probably in the last couple of years that I wish I knew five years ago. Um, because I think I would have progressed so much faster if I wasn't so scared to be wrong. Great point. Absolutely. I think being wrong is, is how you learn, making mistakes, failing is how you learn. Kwesi, what would you tell yourself? For me, I would, it's quite simple. I tell myself, go harder, go faster and go stronger. Because the limiting, probably for me personally, the biggest thing I suffered from was from limiting beliefs. Um, again, when you come from a background where wealth isn't something that's discussed, and then you work in an environment where you have effectively an, an inferiority complex or imposter syndrome because all these people are wealthy. The main thing I know now is that everything I thought I was right, and I should have just gone harder, gone more, go in. And I think everybody, the main, the main reason I say that now is because I have hindsight, but it's the power of knowledge. Once you have the knowledge, once you have the information, go with it. And that's what I should have done. Cool. Emmanuel? Oh, you know what? It's, it's hard. It's hard to say because obviously hindsight is a beautiful thing. And I feel like at the, at the same time, I'm not the person I am today if I don't go through what I went through. And I'm happy with who I am today. So at the same time, it's difficult to say what I could have changed because I don't know those changes, what the person would have created. Um, but one thing I would say is that um, that I've learned over life is, is the importance of networking and not just networking, networking with people that are outside of your circle. So growing up in the hood, like growing up where I, where, you know, like you learn to be cool. Like you learn, this is cool. And anyone that doesn't fit into cool, you don't hang with because you're cool. But one thing I've learned is that you need to hang with everyone. You need to know the nerds. You need to know people that talk different languages. You need to know people with different experiences because the value that you add to yourself when you can, when you can meet people who think different. Um, when, 
you, do you know what I mean? Like, 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 like I was saying earlier about learning your left side of your brain and right side. When you start to meet people that think with the other side of the brain and you can now, they can now challenge your thinking in the way that you think and you can learn. It's, it's so powerful. And um, the second thing I would say is ego. When you come from nothing, you have to build up an ego. You have to believe in yourself and you have to believe that whatever you say, whatever you do, you're right and you're moving and you never give up. Did it? But sometimes, you know, that ego means that you don't listen to people that are around you that actually you should be listening to. And it's very difficult because when you're coming from nowhere, no one, my mum was the only person that ever believed in me in my life. Like my dad didn't believe in me because I didn't get the right grades. No one believes me. So you've got to build up an ego, forget what everyone else says. But you get to a level where actually, no, I need to listen to what people are, are saying around me. And it can stunt your growth if you don't heed. And I don't say, when I say listen, that doesn't mean you have to take everything they say and do it, but you need to listen. So you can understand other people's point of view rather than just your own. And that is a key, key skill that I think I want young people to really take away is, yes, you have an idea. Yes, you have a dream. Yes, believe in yourself but listen to those around you and understand how somebody else might see the world and that will help you in your career. Excellent answer. Volta. Yes, my friend. So if I could go back, definitely, I would say I would um, wanted to know myself first. So learn the way your brain is wired, know your weakness in, in, in skills and, um, and, uh, and strength and just, focus on those because if you focus on your skills and you know yourself so you don't need to be cool i'm not going to be cool as a manual manual is cool so i'm like more kind of uh, you know i'm not going to be as well spoken as a tj okay or as you tej so you know be you be you and people are people are drawn to people they are themselves so you don't know yourself and then, you know, know your strengths and weaknesses. There's a lot of co- uh, programs in free stuff. You can find your strength and weakness. I think if I could go back, that's what, oh my goodness. If I couldn't know myself, my strength, I would be much, much further today. So if you guys could do that, uh, yeah, definitely. Perfect. Definitely discover who you are. And it, it doesn't happen instantly. And it, it can take years to discover who you really are. TJ? Um, five years. I would say stickability the ability to stay in the game so when i'm training these young kids we call it sit g so s-i-t-g sit g stay in the game sit in the fire whether it's burning you whether you make a mistake whether you are crying whether you can't handle it sit stay in the game stay sit stay still g stay in the game because so many people this is the one thing that we we all do we make a mistake and then we move on. Biggest mistake. The whole idea of making a mistake or failing is to learn from that failure and implement those lessons. But most people get hit in the face and guess what? They jump into something else. So we say, sit G, stay in the game, bro. Because you're not going to be able to take those lessons and go and build. So if I could go back five years, I would stay in one specific thing. I should still be in recruitment right now. And I would probably have a multi 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 million pound recruitment business but one punch in the face and guess what i bowed out i ran away i said oh my god this is hard and i I look back and i regret it saying hold on when i got punched in the face why didn't i get back up 
when you look at Joshua, when you look at Fury, when these guys get knocked down, they come back up. They don't say, man just got punched up and then now I'm going to become a wrestler. They stay in boxing. But what we do is we start a property business, it fails, and now we start selling hair and we start selling weave on Instagram or we move to e-commerce. But the reality is, if you stay in the game, you become an expert, you learn, and then you develop something, which is the ability to see the future. You're able to circumvent. You're able to see what's around the corner because you've already been there before. So it means you can get off the mark significantly quicker than your competitors. But most people, are they don't stay in. They don't stay in. And then they keep, they keep wondering why they don't get success. If you didn't learn the lessons of failure here, you go to another business, you haven't learned the lessons. The lessons are still waiting for you at the first business or at the first mistake. And you wonder why failure is just perpetual and it's following you and following you. Sit, G, stay in the game. I didn't talk about that in my book, but maybe you should buy my book. There we go. Go and buy TJ's book. Yes. Uh, you know what? I think this has been a, a fantastic event. I, I think it just, it feels empowering. You know, although I'm in this panel, I'm learning so much and it's been entertaining. And as we can see from the results, people in one night have changed their views on things. So just before I hand over to Mr. Mental Circle, Mr. Tunde, I just want to read some of the feedback from the chat about the panelists. I think it's good that you can, you know, you, we big you up basically. Um, Jade says, really motivated me and made me think differently about investing sooner. Uh, ben says, this panel has been unreal power from so many different angles. Halima, this has made me want to get into property. Chris, Emmanuel has scored a hat trick this evening. Uh, Naisha, thank you so much, everyone. Ruben, such a powerful panel. Thank you, everyone. Um, Shannon says, appreciate all the knowledge learned from tonight, and I'm going to stop buying MS meal deals. Um, <laughs> Brilliant stuff, guys. Uh, taking home the match ball for sure. I think that's about you, Manuel. Thanks for the speakers. Um, yeah, so and there's incredible feedback here. Um, so thank you all so much for being incredible panelists and big up the mental circle for making this happen. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, Volta, Kwesi, B, um, TJ. And, and, and I have to shout out Ted as well, actually, because Ted, I want to tell a story about Ted quickly. Oh um, no, which Tej, one is it? I met Ted in March 2019 in a Starbucks in Kensington, right? And back then he wasn't really sure what he wanted to do. And he just knew that he wanted to get into property, right? So as modest as he is, he's bought 15 properties. That's one five in the last, what, 15 months. He's pretty much been averaging one a month. Nine months. Sorry, my, my bad. Um, and he has one of the biggest property podcasts from a standing start um, in the UK. So thank you, Tej. Um, and the lesson that I, I, I learned from everyone in this panel, but the lesson that I learned from Tej in particular is move fast. You know, move fast on what you want to do. He didn't have a property pretty much a year ago. Now he's got 15 of them. So move fast. Hey everyone, Tej again. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. I think it was awesome. Uh, great panelists, a shout out to them. Uh, just a reminder, if you're interested in the Property Duo Go Live five-day experience where we take you through five days of on-site um, education and bits and bobs from a HMO that James is actually taking back to brick and turning it into a sexy high-end HMO, drop one of us a DM. We've got a few places left. Love to see you there if it's the right thing for you. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.